You may have heard references to terms such as the dispensation of grace or the church age. These terms are part of a teaching known as dispensationalism. Dr. David K. Bernard explains dispensationalism and how it relates to Bible prophecy. It's all coming up on Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to check out Dr. David K. Bernard's books. Dr. Bernard has written more than 30 books on biblical theology and Christian living and leadership. Visit PentecostalPublishing.com and search David Bernard for a list of available titles. Enter promo code DKB10 at checkout to save 10% on your order. That's PentecostalPublishing.com, promo code DKB10 to save 10% at checkout. Our audience members may have heard references to terms such as dispensation of grace and church age and, and similar terms. These terms, of course, as you well know, they arrive from, arise from a teaching known as dispensationalism. So I want to ask you today, can you provide a brief explanation of what that term dispensationalism means? And more importantly, do you feel like that the Bible offers support for this idea? And is it compatible with oneness Pentecostal theology? Well, first of all, the term dispensation is used in the King James Version of the Bible to mean administration or stewardship. An example would be in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, where Paul said he was given a dispensation of the grace of God. Uh, now, from that, that's a non-technical term, but in the early 20th century, uh, this term became popular for a particular way of interpreting the Bible. It was popularized by the Schofield Reference Bible, which was a resource used by conservative Christians, including early Pentecostals. I remember that very well. That was my dad's go-to Bible, study Bible. So Pentecostals didn't have study Bibles, but they used these conservative Protestant fundamentalist resources, one of which was the Schofield Reference Bible. Now, the technical uh, doctrine of dispensationalism as expressed in that Bible talked about seven ages. So really, they use the term dispensation to mean an age of God's working. And so the full system, there, there are several types of dispensationalism, but the most typical and the most common, there were seven ages, age of innocence, and then the age of conscience, the age of human government, the age of promise, the age of the law, the age of grace or the church, and then the millennial kingdom to come. And so the idea was God worked in different ways in different ages to try to lead people and to train and, and bring them into the fullness of his plan of salvation. But each time God would give a, a plan, commands to obey, and people would need to have faith in God. And if they did have faith, they were to follow the specific 
command or pattern for that age. Uh, but inevitably, each age ended in failure as people disobeyed God and, and judgment came. So I think the concept of different ages is scriptural. Uh, whether you can justify those exact seven or not is somewhat controversial. But at least I would say this. If you just study the scripture, we can certainly identify an age of innocence bef- when God created Adam and Eve before they sinned. They had a relation with God in the Garden of Eden. We don't know how long that was. But once they sinned, that changed everything. And they began to offer animal sacrifices. Evidently, God, even before there was the law of Moses, God gave them some instructions. He expelled them from the Garden of Eden. He gave them instructions to offer sacrifices to God. That was before the law. So we can certainly say there was at least a time period after sin, but before the law. Then God chose one nation, the nation of Israel, uh, to be his people. He gave them the law of Moses on Mount Sinai, and they were in a covenant. So there was definitely this period of the law. The New Testament is quite clear about that age. But then with the coming of Jesus Christ, there was a change. With the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the new covenant was instituted, which we call the church age or, or the age, sometimes it's called the age of grace, Uh, And even John chapter one talks about the fullness of grace. That doesn't imply that people before that time were not recipients of God's grace. Uh, In fact, every age, the only way anybody can be saved is by grace through faith. But this age, the church age, is so supremely a manifestation of God's grace because Jesus Christ has died and risen again. We have the the, um, plan fulfilled where God has purchased our salvation, and now we're recipients in a greater measure than any previous age. So I think it is uh, fine to speak of this, the church age, the age of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the, the supreme age of the grace of God. Then when you study the book of Revelation, you do see the Lord is coming back to earth to judge uh, the sinful world, uh, to um call away his church, but then he's going to establish a kingdom of a thousand years on the earth to restore earth to its original purpose and plan the way God created it. So certainly, as I've outlined it, we can at least say there've got to be five ages of God's dealing with humans that we can clearly identify, uh, the age of innocence, uh, the, uh, the the time of after Adam and Eve sinned, but before the law of Moses, the law of Moses, uh, the church age, and the millennial kingdom. But what I would want to stress more than the discontinuity is the continuity. In every age, salvation has been by God's grace. In every age, salvation has been purchased by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's stated in Romans 3.25, by the way, is that even in the Old Testament, uh, people didn't fully understand what God's plan would be. But God saved people in the Old Testament based on the cross. So Old Testament saints look forward to God's plan. We New Testament saints look backward to God's plan, but salvation in every age has been on the basis of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ through his death, burial, resurrection, or we might say the blood of Jesus Christ. In every age, salvation has been by the grace of God. 
nobody has ever been saved by works. So some extreme dispensationalists would say, well, under the law, they were saved by works. Now we're saved by grace. So that's a false contrast. If anybody could ever be saved by works, then Christ's death wasn't necessary. And if people could be saved by works in the Old Testament, why couldn't they still be saved by works? Uh, but it's always been by grace. And the only way you can receive grace is through faith, through trusting in God. And trusting in God means trusting his word. Trusting his word means obeying his word. So while the content of God's commands may have changed, this concept of salvation by grace through faith and faith being expressed by your obedient response to God's word, that's always been the case. So God told Noah to build an ark. If Noah had refused to build an ark, he would have drowned. But because he built the ark, Hebrews chapter 11 says he was saved by faith, not by his works, but by his obedient response to God, which did involve building the ark. We don't have to build an ark to be saved, but we, but first Peter explains baptism is the corresponding thing that when we're baptized in water, that's like Noah when he got into the ark and went through the flood. Uh, so I would emphasize the continuity of God's plan of salvation. And I would say in our age, the church age, we see the restoration uh, the culmination of God's plan for our individual salvation. So we're restored to relation with God, much like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and I would say even exceeding that because we're filled with God's Spirit. So everything God planned to do with Adam and Eve that was temporarily thwarted by sin, God has progressively in these various ages taught us and led us back, so now we're in the fullness of individual restoration. Then the millennial kingdom will be the fullness of uh, planetary uh, restoration or, or the uni- universal restoration. So you see God's plan being worked out that humans actually receive God's ultimate plan in this age. And then as a corporate body, uh, the whole earth and the universe will receive God's plan uh, in the future. And so that's how I see it working out. Now, one other thing that's significant about dispensationalism, one of the reasons why this is emphasized so much is to make a distinction between Israel and the church, because some groups have pretty much merged it so that um, Israel has no future in God's plan. The church has replaced Israel and all the promises given to Israel are now strictly to the church. And that has implications for the doctrine of the future, eschatology, uh, because dispensationalists typically believe there will be a pre-tribulation rapture, but then there will still be a tribulation to try to bring the Jews back to recognize the, their Messiah. So God is treating the ch- church and the Jewish people differently. Now, I would say that the timing of the rapture is an independent discussion. Some people believe it will take place before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or after the tribulation. That can be argued and, I would say, established on independent exegetical grounds. So you don't have to have this whole dispensational interpretation to establish what you believe about uh, the rapture. And I do believe the, the rapture is the next great event for the church, and it will come before the tribulation, and then uh, there will be the millennial kingdom after that. And you do have a podcast on that if listeners want to check that out. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, but but if you go back to this concept of dispensationalism, so so those that completely discard it will say, 
Um, there's no difference in Israel and the church. Church is just replace Israel. I don't think that's correct. There still is a distinction because you'll find, for example, in Romans chapter 11, God still has a plan for national Israel. And God still has a plan using the Gentile church to bring Israel as a nation back to the realization of the Messiah so that they can be saved. Now, right now, the way Jews are saved is through the church, the same way anybody else, through the new birth experience. But the point of Romans 11 is God has not abandoned Israel. He still has a plan to bring them as a people, which I think will happen in the future uh, when Jesus Christ comes back to earth. They will recognize him as their Messiah. Uh, on the other hand, to say the two are kept totally strict, that's false as well. Because an extreme dispensationist will say, no, all the promises given to Israel only for Israel. Well, you have the promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, which was given to ancient Israel. But in Hebrews 8, it's clearly fulfilled in the church. Now, that doesn't mean it's taken away from Israel because I've already said Israel can still become part of the church. So yes, natural Israel still has that promise. If they will accept Jesus as their Messiah, they can still enter the new covenant. But what was originally given to one nation has been extended to the whole world. Uh, so we can't have this rigid dispensationalism without considering that God's plan is now uh, much greater than what was originally envisioned by ancient Israel. In the last days, says God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And we're seeing that happen. Uh, I would also uh, point out that when we talk about dispensationalism, some, there are, there are varieties of it. The traditional dispensationalists said that the gifts of the spirit, the supernatural spiritual gifts, uh, miracles, healings, tongues ceased. Uh, about the end of the first century uh, with the death of the apostles. And so the strict dispensations say now we're li living in the age of no miracles. Well, of course, Pentecostals can't believe that. Uh, we can't go to that strict or hyper dispensationalism because we know that uh, the New Testament church, uh, is, that we are the New Testament church, that all the promises and examples of the New Testament church are for us today. So my answer is we should not be locked into a historical system that is created by people who are not Pentecostal. That doesn't mean it's all wrong. That means we must approach the Bible afresh. When we do, we find, yes, there were various ages in which God dealt with humans in different ways to bring them into the fullness of truth. So that central point of dispensationalism is valid. We do understand there's a distinction between Israel and the church. Although we believe that the promises God gave to Israel have been expanded to include the New Testament church, still there are, are promises God has given to natural Israel that will still be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. Uh, so we uh, would, would have somewhat of a modified approach, and we would emphasize the unity of God's plan of salvation by grace through faith, that faith involving obedience. And, and I will just point out another thing. The strict dispensationalists would like to say there's been a change of what was required for faith. So in the Old Testament, faith involved specific obedience. But in the New Testament, you don't have to obey anything. Well, that's a strict dispensationalist thing uh, idea, which changes the definition of faith. But we would say, no, you can't change the definition of faith. It's the same throughout the Bible. Now, what God has commanded us to do 
in the Old Testament is different than what God has commanded us to do in the New Testament, or what God commanded his people under the Old Covenant is different from the New Covenant. But the concept of obedient faith is, is always true, and we see that in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Noah built an ark, and he became the heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed the command, and he likewise was justified by faith. So we too obey the command to repent of our sins, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, to open our heart to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so we too are saved by grace through faith, but we experience the blessings of the new covenant which are greater than the blessings of the old covenant. So we definitely would say there's a difference. In the old covenant, people were not baptized in Jesus' name. They they offered animal sacrifices, which were only temporary. In the Old Testament, while God's Spirit worked in their lives, they could not be baptized with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and each individual having the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. That's a new covenant experience. So we definitely see there's a different age, or if you want to call it dispensation, between uh, the old covenant and the new covenant. But we emphasize that God has been working throughout history on the same basis of salvation through Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share Apostolic Life in the 21st Century with a friend or family member. And make plans to join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.